What's going on, man? How you doing? Good, good. good. Just happy to be sitting with you, and、um, especially about our upcoming topic, and just really looking forward to it. Been yeah, thinking about it since we had a chance to do our little pre-chat. Yeah, yeah, that was、uh, great. Thank you so much. Situation out there hasn't gotten better. I was like, maybe situation will get better by the time we actually sit down. No,、hey, things、man. are. Yeah, I I did I did some I did a little bit of a deep dive after、uh, the news of the great legendary saxophonist、mm-hmm. uh, Wayne Shorter's passing, and、uh, I was you know I went to Discogs and、uh, I was able to grab one of my one of my favorites from him that speak no evil. I was able to grab that pretty、mm-hmm. pretty cheaply. I think it was a tone for it or not tone for it, but a blue issue a blue note reissue,、mm-hmm. and that's、mm-hmm. great. That's great.、Um, but at first, what happened was I went to Amazon to get it. And Amazon、Uh-oh. had like did this weird thing where like th- there was a seller who was selling it, and, and it feeds into our topic weirdly enough. There was a、mm-hmm. seller who was selling it at like I think it was like twenty four, twenty five bucks or something like that. I go to put it in my cart, and it just dis- he says it's no longer available. Like as I'm putting it in my cart, and I'm like,、eh, that's a little,、oh、that's、goodness. a little fishy. And it just made me、that's、think, like, because the only other copy that was listed on Amazon was for seventy seven dollars. So、mm-hmm. again, that feeds right into our our thing, like. How do these prices? How do these? How does it get gauged? And and we gotta set it straight. But、uh, but I do want to intro the show right first. Unless you have any other things you want to talk about before we no, let's go into right it. into it. My yeah,、friend. man, great.、Uh, this is、uh, another episode of the Record Spinner Podcast. I'm your host Leon, and I have with me the co-host, the wonderful co-host Ryan Claren, and we are going to talk about resellers and retailers today. And、uh, before we get into it, I do want to just acknowledge that the season is just starting for the Record Spinner Podcast.、Uh, I honestly had just been—I've been just living, man. Work, you know. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of stuff going on at work. Got a whole bunch of stuff going on with life that it's really good right now. So I can't even complain. So、yeah. it's you know it's one of those things where the podcast it sort of you know it took an extended holiday, right?、Uh, so you know I hope no one's like. Too upset about that or missing us too much, but I do want to thank everybody for for their love and support、uh, over the break. So really appreciate it. But we're gonna get right back into it, hit the ground running, and we got a doozy of a topic today to discuss. Like Ryan said at the top, everyone's been feeling it. Everyone knows about it in our community. It's just one of those like things, I guess, at this point.、Uh, but we're gonna try and talk about why it is a thing and how or. What would you say, Ryan? Like, how we can escape it? How we can solve? Like, is there a solve? Is there hope for it? Right? Like, we're gonna get into all that. But Ryan, anything you want to say before we、uh, get into our our little our little spiel here? Got a little agenda for us today? Yeah.、Um, well, you know, you 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 kind of already mentioned、uh, um, resting in peace, resting in power to the great Wayne Shorter. Yes.、Um, yeah. When that when that hit.、Um, I was, yeah, I was pretty down. <laughs>、yeah. um, you know, for me, you know, Wayne, Wayne, you know, he's always been my goat、mm-hmm. uh, in the world of jazz.、Um, even with all of my love for Miles Davis, yeah, and I know those two artists are very intertwined and connected. I was gonna say, and, yeah, the second great quintet, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, my my probably my favorite jazz p- pianist is probably Herbie Hancock.、Mm-hmm. Obviously,、mm-hmm. he's very connected with Wayne Shorter. Probably my favorite small group jazz ensemble outside of the Miles groups, the Art Blakey Jazz Messengers. Okay. Oh, 
lo and behold, Wayne Shorter's part, you know, yep, was associated yep. with that group. So for me, it, you know, Wayne is just kind of like the center, has always been the center of my jazz universe in so many aspects as a, as a composer, yeah. as a leader, as a sideman. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to share, one of the things that I, I always appreciated about, a couple things I appreciated about Wayne Shorter outside of the music and the songs. Number one, his ability as a composer, I feel like a lot of times with jazz charts, the song titles don't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like they come up with some like wacky names yeah. and then the 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 song itself is fine, but I'm just like, where did you come up with that name? Yeah. But with Wayne with Wayne Shorter, like he just like the 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 song title, it like matches the song perfectly. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you can like like on the um one of my favorite tracks on that speak no evil is infant eyes oh yeah oh I my too. God. classic and yeah. that just kind of like oh like it sounds great but it's like oh i get it like the title like makes sense kind of stuff oh. yeah. um number two um as you know a lot of us jazz listeners and jazz musicians we're all kind of a little odd and weird yes. in a way yes <laughs> yes so for those of you all listen, you know, we're, we're not normal people. And like, for me, like, um, watching interviews with Wayne Shorter and reading like different like biographical things, mm -hmm. like in the Herbie Hancock uh, bio, where he, he shares stories about Wayne and yeah. as well as Miles when they shame, like some of his like mannerisms and sayings are like from a different world. Like yeah. I was reading this bio where um, the group, I mean, they were, this this nice looking woman was walking by and i guess you know she was tall had long legs and like the quote from the biography is like you know the guys are doing their guy thing and mm -hmm. but wayne says man look at the luggage that one's carrying i'm just <laughs> like what are you talking about dude like who talks like that just like just weird mannerisms and just weird sayings and just the way he kind of interacted with his fellow musicians was really of a different world. Yeah. Um, but I think that just speaks so perfectly and wonderfully about the uniqueness and the, and the magic and like, you know, Wayne Shorter almost brought you into like a world of fantasy. Yeah. Almost with his music and the way that he wrote jazz. And I think that's the part that I think the world of jazz will always miss is that just like otherworldliness that he seemed to bring into the world of music yeah we'll definitely miss that about the the brother the the now ancestor um the legend uh for sure i think that's such a great point ryan um that you that you bring up uh just about sort of his for me wayne is always one of those folks he's in that herbie hancock area for me where you just know Herbie is like this for for definitely like mainstream jazz artists. He's on everything. You, if you can think about a, a, an important jazz date, an important jazz record, I, I'm I'm sure he's somewhere hovering in in, in the backdrop. Uh, they both have amazing stories, uh, Herbie and, and Wayne, and they have a lot of recordings together. Um, just yeah, I mean, the thing that I think about, and I look across, you know, uh, the social media platforms. Uh, for for help with this but we have so many great the golden era of jazz uh, we still have legends that are alive and well mm -hmm. at to this present day but 
they're not going to be with us forever obviously and it's it's always just tragic to i mean to to think about miles my favorite jazz artist of all times like he is he's gone now right so there was no time to sort of even quasi interact with his social pages his social media but with these legends that we have i'm thinking about ron carter i'm thinking about mm-hmm. you know herbie hancock like we see their pages we see their social medias and we're able to sort of get a glimpse into their day-to-day life in the, in a strange and, and unique way um mm-hmm. with their with their current projects and we're we're blessed to to be able to share space with with these le- legends you know um mm-hmm. at this time so I don't know if that even made any sense, but you know that's the the only thing I thought about as I was listening to Infinite. Yeah, uh, rest in peace, rest in power to the brother, to the ancestor. Uh, Ryan, how how has just a small talk before we get into the into the show? Yeah. How how has things been with with life, man? I haven't really caught up with you. We talked briefly about this topic here. Um, how are things? School going well? You know what's? Yeah, yeah, for sure. In 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 my school work life, um. The big thing is uh, I do a spring musical production. So that's like our, that's awesome. our big thing where all the kids are pretty hyped up and excited about their characters and going through all the different scenes. So that's kind of that kind of takes over my world a little bit in this uh, spring semester of, uh, of what I do as a junior high music and choir teacher um, in the world of just like vinyl and records. Um, yeah, I've been be, I've been doing much better. Um, I don't want to call it a New Year's resolution because it kind of sounds kind of cheesy, but <laughs> I actually have been very mindful, number one, of my own purchasing and mm. really trying to be more intentional yeah. about the things that I buy and the things that I bring into my house for, uh, from a record perspective, only because um, space and time mm-hmm. is a limited resource, Yeah. Um, but also um, being much better about being able to let go of some records and sell off records that I know I don't won't miss them if they're not in my house anymore. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of trips to my local, one of my favorite local uh, record shops called Tone Deaf Records out in, uh, in the city. And um, I've been able to get great value, great trade in. Awesome. Um, but also at the same time, establishing a much more um, collaborative relationship with mm-hmm. my local record dealer um, versus just like thinking of them as a merchant and then thinking of me as a consumer. Yeah. Like you can go beyond 
those lines. And I think by actually engaging with your local in terms of like giving them good stuff to mm-hmm. trade in or sell, like they appreciate it, you appreciate it. It's a win-win for a lot of people. So I've been much, I've been much better about that too. I'm actually, in fact, as soon as we hop off, I'm going to try to hit it up because I got some more stuff <laughs> for awesome. him. Awesome. I got some more stuff for him, but I got maybe one or two things I want to cut from him. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. That, that, this is a very interesting point. And Ryan, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I am very much in the same exact place. Um, realizing now that, you know, when you amass a certain amount of records, whatever your number is, you know, when you realize you have more records than you can count or more records than you, you, you could ever, ever even listen to in your lifetime, right? I think you do start to realize the importance of, of one, establishing that, that buyer-seller relationship with your local shops. I have one with Charvis. I text him sometimes. I, I think I text him. The last time I texted him about this was like last year. I was like, I think I'm going to get rid of my collection. <laughs> I don't know if I was joking or not. I can't remember the details. But he was like, all right, let me look at it. And I, you know, But just having that, that one-on-one with, with, uh, with such a great shop owner as Charvis and and Neil that I'm thinking about down in Psalm as well uh, in in the heart of D.C. That is important uh, because you're going to get to that point when you're collecting, no matter what you're collecting, you're going to get to that point where you realize you're not going to be able to grab every record ever. Like at first it starts out like that rat race, right? And and (laughs) as you amass stuff, you're like, oh yeah, there's more than I could ever listen to. So like just go for the stuff that you're into. Just go for the stuff that you want, that you actually want to listen to, uh, that you actually p- place real value in. Uh, I did this recently in Baltimore, actually, um, and I bought a record that I already own a copy of, uh, but it was it was a very, it was a fresh copy, right? I'm telling you, this thing was, it was Strata East, like, looked like it was brand new, looked like it had never been yeah. played before. Uh, and it was the Mario Winston record that I've talked about on a few different episodes, A Fresh Viewpoint. I'm never happy anymore. How come? How come? No sweet surprises lie in store. Oh, mom. Oh, mom. Where is the very warm and simple world I used to know? What I give to be naive again. comes from 1972 i believe and um this record is is super fly and the copy that i have is kind of beat that's okay but this copy that i got from uh from soundgarden in baltimore absolutely perfect i paid a pretty pity i paid a pretty penny for it <laughs> and um and i don't regret it because i went mm-hmm. in with the with the intent to buy a valued record that mm-hmm. I wanted to to own, that I wanted a good copy mm-hmm. of, um, and, and I think that's that's so so important. And when you get to that point, I think there is a victory in that where you're like, I could only walk, I could walk into this record store and only buy one record that I really really want. That's it. It's, it's a great it's a great feeling. So, uh, to all you collectors well, out there in the beginning stages or in that stage yourself. Um, yeah, more power to you, and and I think it's it's about it's about the journey, 
at the end of the day. And the journey with the music is the most important thing. You don't need to hold on to it forever. You know, if you if you buy something and you feel like it it's it served its purpose, it's lived its life with you. Mm. Keep it moving. Let it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let it let it play an important part in someone else's life. So yes, sir. it's a weird thing to say for us collectors because we're so territorial about it, right, Ryan? <laughs> like it's even hearing it, it's like, do, do I really believe that? Because you know, it's like it's such an interesting thing because we are collectors at the end of the day. Yeah. But you know, collecting is it's it's a it's a cycle, it's a circle. So, uh, Ryan, hey man, uh, we just we just killed that whole update section here uh, without me even you know without us even betting an eye. We're moving right through this. So what mm-hmm. I want to get into, of course, is the much heralded, the much awaited. What are you listening to? Rhino, uh, Rhino recommendations of the month. Rhino recommendations from us, the record spinners here. Um, and I'll go first, Ryan. Um, and because I only got two. And I just copped these from Baltimore. I've, I've, sp- I've spent a lot of time in Baltimore now. Um, I have a girlfriend who lives in Baltimore. And so, you know, she's awesome. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in that area. So, you know, it's right up the street from D.C. You know, it's not not too far. Uh, so I hop on a train and, and just go up and spend a weekend, a few days, whatever, at a time. Uh, and I go to Soundgarden a lot. Uh, and I also go to um, this really cool new shop called Vinyl and Pages. It's over on Howard Street. Uh, so I'm going to shout out two records. The first one is from Soundgarden. I bought this. Uh, it's from Cadet Records, and it's the Eddie Fisher Quintet. It's a marvelous, marvelous, so. marvelous piece of work. It's called the Third Cup. Uh, it's very. It sounds very much like a hole in the wall type of type of joint. Like you go into like a little speakeasy. Not a, not even speakeasy. That's too. That's a little too posh for for this record. It's more like um like a uh, like a body like a juke joint. Yeah, like a juke joint. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Perfect. Pop it. Perfect. Perfect, Brian. Uh, it's like you go into a juke joint and you you listening to it. Uh, you know, you hear like maybe a live live band that may be playing something similar. Uh, Eddie Fisher is on the guitar and they have uh, organ, which I'm okay. not super, super fond of. But in this record, I, I, I promise you, it's, it's just so smooth. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. You put it on, pour your little pour your little glass of whatever you're drinking. And it, it, it oh, just yeah. is perfect. So I love your, this your record. Your feet are, feet are sticking to the floor, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, that record, um, a little bit more about it, I guess, Cadet Records, and it comes out, uh, I think it's 1969, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, yeah, 1969, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a, just a really smooth, smooth work. Uh, again, Soundgarden, got that from Soundgarden, I'm highlighting the shops today um, that I got these records from. Uh, the other one is sort of a classic, man, like, I mean, this is, I mean, what, I don't even need to say nothing about this, this is Sade, mm-hmm. you know, the best mm-hmm. of Sade, and I mean, this may seem a little... 
I guess, cliche for a jazz cat to be, you know, highlighting Sade, oh, who's, I all. think, one of the most sultry voices ever in oh, yeah. in, in the world of, of music, uh, yeah. yet alone, like, what we call there's jazz. Always, there's always room in the library for a classic voice. Of course, of course. I, I can't even say nothing else about that. I got that from Vinyl and Pages, though. That's the best of Sade. Uh, it's a comp album from Sony Music, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, just highlighting some of her, her best uh, single. She's one of those artists, man, where you think about it and uh, you think about how many, ama- you think about her top hits, right? You you know, uh, Soldier of Love or something like that. But mm-hmm. but then you get into like her her artistry, things that were also hits, but maybe not as big as, you know, some of her, her biggest stuff. And you're like, man, what the, she had hits, bro. Like she had like, like James Brown, like, or Michael Jackson level. Like she, uh-huh. you just know every song and it's like, how do I know this song? Or how do this is crazy. So yeah, man, that's my, uh, that's, those are my vinyl recommendations for this episode. Um, go support your local shops, no matter what city you're in, no matter yes. what town you're in, go hop over and, and support your locals. Um, so yeah, Ryan, take the floor. <laughs> yeah. So let me head on. So actually, um, my most recent thing that popped in, um, this is in Ooh. OG Ooh. first U.S. pressing 1A 1A uh, Matrix labels. Miles, my, this is um, my favorite. It's a, it's, a, album. it's like top five for me for sure like it was this was the one that got me actually like it wasn't actually kind of blue that mm-hmm. hipped me to miles and specifically the, this the um of the great quintets whether it be the first or the second or mm-hmm. whatnot but it was actually this one But then this one hit me to Wayne Shorter. It yeah, he's on that record. Yeah. Herbie. It hit me to Tony Williams. So from there, this was like pretty close to the the seed mm-hmm. that kind of germinated a, my love for a great one. small, you know, um, tight ensemble combo, jazz combo level jazz. Um, the funny thing about that though is. I've actually had a MoFi reissue of that for quite a while. Yeah, I have a reissue of that also. Yeah. Yeah. So this, you can tell it's the MoFi because yeah, it yeah, has yeah. the banner, the on, banner the top. on top. Yeah. And like, I guess like this is supposed to be like the quote unquote like audiophile cut picture perfect because it's the the two the two discs and the forty five RPM, the faster speed and Ooh. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? 
the first time I listened to this, whenever I got this, however many years ago, it it didn't hit me. Like it didn't actually land. I was like, huh. I would say like there was almost like a disappointment. Yeah. In like the presentation and the sound, but also it was like when I first listened to this way back when as a kid, I think it was just like a a random CD that I would throw in the car or on mm-hmm. my CD Walkman, and mm-hmm. that's how I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, this is supposed to be the audiophile, highest quality interpretation of it, mm-hmm. but it didn't have that same feeling. It didn't have that same aesthetic. That's interesting. So I kind of was doing this whole thing where I just, I, you know, listened to it once or twice. It didn't really hit me. I was like, oh, I just put it away, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, started doing some stuff on the forums, especially with these past couple of months. And then, you know, the whole mobile fidelity debacle, all that kind of the digital. Great episode we stuff. did on that, by the way, just plug in our episode yeah. that we did on that. Yep, yep, well. yep. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of people online were like, hey, man, like you should try to find like an early pressing or a first pressing because 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 it's miles. They're actually very reasonably hot. So yeah. The yeah. OG miles miles I got was I think I only got it for like 20 or so bucks. And Ooh. really, yeah in really good condition and then when i spun that last week i was like okay yep this is it i can feel it again just yeah just a side note Ryan. (laughs) yeah that's perfect to that's a perfect thing to to say because i actually had a copy an og copy i think it was og or near og copy of it um and and like you said miles is one of those artists and this is our topic for the day where if you have an og you think when you think of OGs, right? You think expensive and, and uh, out of the box, but because of Not who Miles was, yeah, because of who yeah. Miles was, I mean, yeah. he had major record yeah. deals. So he, his I mean, records m- were pressed. At least from a market perspective, more often than not, Miles is kind of like the Beatles of jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a big <laughs> you way. Know what I mean? In a big way, yeah, like sure. Any shop in any podunk area of our country. You, you'll find some Beatles records for dirt cheap. You'll yeah. find some Miles Davis. Um, but the other one is actually with that as well. So Ooh. same thing. I've had uh, a Miles Davis in a silent way, first pressing OG for a while. Yeah. Now, believe it or not, this is the opposite of the Miles Miles. This OG is very nice sounding, mm-hmm. but because of the age and condition of it, mm-hmm. there's a couple places where it's kind of crackly, staticky, even with a really... Yeah, even, yeah, a lot of personality, even with like my ultrasonic cleaner and my whole record cleaning process. But recently, um, um, Music Direct, which is right here in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, they've been starting to repress some of their classic um, Miles reissues. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it, whereas the Miles Smiles Mofi never really sounded super great to me, just like solid. Mm-hmm. This one, the, the MoFi is pretty out of this world, amazing sounding. So mm. I'm really happy I got, long story short, I'm happy I have both the OG slash first pressing. I'm also happy that I do have like this cleaner, modernized, updated audio file version too. Um, that mild, that in a silent way for the longest time was out of print, the, mo- the mobile fidelity. So it was like 200 to 300 bucks. So when when Music Direct and Mo, MoFi when they repressed a good number of copies and they were selling it, I don't know, maybe fifty or sixty bucks, mm-hmm. a lot of us, as you can imagine, were Jumped very on. happy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. to jump on, as as you should be, man. Two two killers, Ryan. Jeez, and I'm glad they were they were both my man Miles. You know, because I feel like I and I, I don't know if people notice this, but I intentionally 
usually don't highlight my Miles collection records. He's my favorite artist, but I don't want people thinking I'm, I'm like, this is a Miles Davis show, right? Like I, I talk mm -hmm. about him every episode, so that's the thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, so I'm glad it's you. Hard not, I'm, it's it's hard not to when the show itself is centered on black jazz artistry. He's uh, hey man, I, <laughs> I was gonna say he, when, when you think of it, who, whose face you think of? You think of the Prince of Darkness? Uh, man. Much. Come on, man, yeah, come on. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, uh, I much. think I think those are great picks, Ryan. And I want to I want to take this momentum that we have because we were already discussing it and go right into the topic, bro. Because you mentioned it with both of your records, um, and and Miles is one of the I think a, a super great example. I would say is in our space for sure. I would say the someone that would be maybe even better in like the world of music would be like a Michael Jackson, right? So we take these artists who they are world renowned, they're, they're the biggest thing, They the record companies press thousands upon thousands, if not even I would dare to say millions of copies of these records. Why is it that I will see a thriller on Discogs for a hundred bucks <laughs> why would i see a kind of blue selling for 50 bucks now granted there are versions that are indeed worth that right so i mean that's a whole different issue but what i want to talk about is this resale versus the retail price we're in a community where the now retail these reissue outfits we talk about them all the time ryan we we big them up right like they're doing a great job they're doing a great service a lot of them um they are now selling their records at, at reissue they're repressing and reissuing records that are sought after hugely widely sought after and they're doing so relatively ethically relatively and relatively affordably right great now we get that out of the way what happens when you missed the you missed the ball. You missed the you missed the drop on something on from one of these retails. You go to Discogs, you go to eBay, you go to Amazon, whatever your preferred marketplace is, and you go to look for this record, and you realize that now the resale value has sometimes in some cases I've seen it quadruple. Um, uh, I've seen vinyl, uh, what is it, uh, vinyl me please records that because you miss. The drop on it you go to discogs and you see people reselling this that same record that you could have got for 35 bucks you see people reselling it for hundreds of bucks how does this happen and and, and what does this mean like what for for the layman because uh, i i don't even fully understand it honestly <laughs> yeah i mean i can kind of chime in um at least from the audiophile space mm -hmm. this kind of all started with the idea that you could take classic popular titles that for the most part, many of these reissues are widely available in OG, first mm -hmm. pressing, early pressing form. But the audiophile market has shown they're willing to buy multiple versions of the same thing for mm -hmm. updated versions of stuff they already own in the pursuit of like better sound, um, in the pursuit of a fresh cut from the tapes. Uh, a new digital transfer mm -hmm. remastering of whatever that is. And for the most part, they they bring some, you know, audible benefits, some sonic benefits. But on the same token, 
that is such a money-driven niche cut of a pretty niche market in itself, vinyl collecting, mm -hmm. that it's kind of caused the marketing of said prices to keep on escalating, coupled with pandemic, post-pandemic market forces, supply chain issues. I mean, we've got just a demand that is greatly outstripping supply. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got a couple of resellers, reissuers that are really leaning into that mm. to capitalize. Mm. If I'm being upfront about it is my, is my general feel and vibe about the situation, thinking of it big picture. So who would you say the culprits are? Uh, resell versus retail. Um, when you're, when all of these, uh, when all these variables are up in the air, who is controlling the who who controls the price why mm -hmm. why am i seeing or why do we see certain records that are just drastically um out of hand when you could the the options are there if you're looking for a particular reissue um you can compare prices yourself and and look at certain records to do to do this comparison with you can see you can find it on amazon for for 19 bucks because it's so widely available but you go somewhere else and you see that you know this person may be reselling that exact same copy not not an og not a, a particular type of reissue but the same copy um and you'll see that they're selling it for for way way higher um, mm -hmm. is it profit margins is it like like does that question make sense who's controlling the scales here right like who's yeah. who's who's running this game yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I had shared with you a while back this whole acoustic sounds. Um, you know, they did this reissue of some Bob Marley album. I think it might have been like Exodus or uh, Exodus. It might have been, yeah, it might have been something else. And, you know, I had shared with you, and this is already pretty well known that, you know, it was this limited edition 2,500 copy release, sold out within minutes. But, the the owner of the the reissue label you know was that was on youtube and kind of bragging and taking pride in the fact that it had sold out so quickly that people were already posting it for reselling <laughs> for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars more so than the already 100 125 dollars that he was asking for so like when you sell when you when you say is the issue the resellers or the actual the retail it's kind of both mm. right the mm -hmm. retail mm -hmm. price is escalating like now that things are getting into the 100 plus from mm -hmm. the retail perspective that oof. so that's just like it's like a, it's like an, it's a game of escalation it's basically what it is like everyone's just trying to one up at one level mm. um for you know financial purposes or for clout or for reputation right because mm -hmm. uh, i know in the audiophile space most audiophiles whether they admit this or not they equate quality to dollars and you know what i mean yeah we we, we assume that if, if something's 100 bucks it's better than the thing that's 50 or 25 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. basically, 
the way that it is yeah. unfortunately and and i could tell you that that is not always the case uh yeah so that is mm-hmm. it, it's it's an unfortunate thing can but is there anything that like what can buyers do if they're stuck in a situation like where they really want this record they really really want it it's, it's on their grail right and and for those who mm-hmm. don't know the grail is your holy grail your holy this is what you have been looking this is one of maybe one of the reasons why you started collecting in the first place what happens yeah, if sure. there's a, a record that a, a buyer really wants but they don't have any real options other than these jacked up prices uh yeah. all over the net yeah well you know if there's something out there that's coming up that you need to have that if, if this is what you need like trying to cop it float as close to retail cost as possible best, yeah. is is a challenge because mm-hmm. a lot of these things due to either supply chain issues or because the reissuer is limiting the number of copies they're wanting to release of it mm-hmm. which is a whole nother topic and a whole nother issue but the e the the best way to increase your chance of getting that at retail is really really through a local shop or a um, some kind of local record store that can use their business contact um like i had shared with you that one of my locals here um in the western chicago suburban area um they do a great job with um communicating with their customers through facebook and social media Mm -hmm. as well as just through email and calling them in and then they'll take your request for titles that you are really interested in and they'll use that to help in their own buying of titles Mm -hmm. from the distributors and the reissue outfits and like they'll go ahead and they'll like they'll set you aside a copy right so this happened like you know when mo when mofi did their 125 dollar one step version of michael jackson's thriller which if you're seeing my face you can kind of see the why someone would buy a $125 copy of Thriller is a whole other topic for the thing. But <laughs> let's you say you need that, that for in dollar bills yeah. in, in some local shops. But if you need to have this $125 audiophile fancy schmancy version of Thriller, um, you know, you could go to this local shop and if you have a if you've established a pretty decent buying buyer seller uh, relationship Mm -hmm. you know with this uh, retailer um he you know he'll get you an order and he'll set it aside there's so many times where i've come inside the store and i can see behind the register he's got it all nicely organized Mm -hmm. uh, the Mm -hmm. titles and it has a little post-it notes for this customers for this customers for this customer so that's really you know because if you're trying to do the whole like login online on the website at a certain time Mm -hmm. um you know, and there's only 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 copies or something. Um, it's going to be a, it's a tough proposition to get it close to retail. Why someone would pay $125 for a copy of Thriller when they can, <laughs> they can literally hop down to their local shop and yeah. probably find a copy that's great in great condition and everything yeah. uh, for probably 30 bucks, 25, 15. Yeah anywhere yeah. 15 10 25 bucks so it's very strange that people would do that but if you love that album that much you know i get it i, I suppose mm-hmm. um so let's pick up at 
if any to in your opinion are there any records that seem more prone to this issue of being jacked the price being jacked up from from retail or resale um, mm-hmm. To me, I, I look at uh, a lot of um, artists who who pass recently. I think sometimes that plays a part, regardless of genre. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. What 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 factors go into to playing playing a part in this? If if a record yeah. is more pricey. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, as you and and many listeners out there know, um, if if I had to pick a specialty of my collection. It's, it would probably be um, the Blue Note catalog mm-hmm. within jazz, specifically the late 50s, early to mid 60s, um, kind so. of hard bop, post bop era. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that part of my catalog of my library, I can, def- I can speak to those titles that I've seen, whether it's due to um, the audiophile invasion of the vinyl collecting space, as well as just like plain old market forces, availability, scarcity, popularity of a title, or wasn't popular at the time. Mm-hmm. Lots of those. Yeah. And then over a couple of decades, people start to become really hip to a particular title. So that, you know, so some of the titles that popped up in my library that I have, that I think are subject to this. So, um, Lee Morgan's Search for the New Land, Search for a New Land. Solid record. Um, at the time, this was in a, you know, a lot of these titles that are now 300, 400, 500 bucks, not only OGs and early pressings, but even the high quality audiophile reissues. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're stuck either way. They're both really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with that Lee Morgan title, when it, you know, this would have been a thing. All Blue Note titles, they didn't press hundreds of thousands of these things because Blue Note was really this kind of underground-ish, independent, like artsy mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. label kind of thing. Um, and then when the Japanese reissue market in the 80s and just the Japanese vinyl jazz market kind of restored some of the interest in a lot of American jazz in the 80s, then people got hit to a lot of these titles and then when the market exploded through the 2000s um 2010s mm-hmm. 2020s pandemic increased yeah. demand yeah. dropped supply so uh, that's a big part where like a, you know and lee morgan search for the new land joe henderson mode for joe sunny rollins volume one um even like those are like top tier blue notes mm-hmm. they were never really that crazy popular when they dropped in the 60s so it took like decades and decades and decades to for them for people to really acknowledge the musical artistry of them mm-hmm. but now that we're in this like 2022 2023 world where when thing when people get really hip to something it, the interest and demand is like an exponential yeah it's like a, it's like like over, fireworks overnight yeah yeah it's right. overnight essentially uh but even like if you go down a level in the blue note catalog so like some other type grant green solid mm-hmm. that's an easy 300 to 400 and maybe you can find like a late 70s early 80s blue new blue note reissue for mm-hmm. like a decent price hank mobley's workout 
that's an easy 200 to 400 title reissue or OG early pressing. You might be able to find a 70s US or an 80s Japan, mm -hmm. maybe 50, 75 bucks. That's a lot for a, a questionable source. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, the one the one I had written down, Herbie Hancock's Imperian Isles. Great example. But And that is like a $400, $500 title, OG early pressing or reissue. Mm -hmm. Like you're screwed either way kind of thing, right? Yep. But the blue note classic series i just saw they're gonna they're gonna re they're gonna re they're gonna recut that at like a reasonable 25 or so dollars so i mean and, and I'm, so i'm crossing that off my list because mm -hmm. blue notes like understanding these classic goat level top tier level blue note titles we have to get these in people's hands at a reasonable price yeah. we have to make sure we can meet said demand we have to make sure that we don't artificially limit supply mm -hmm. to jack the prices yeah, so that whole blue note classic series as well as the uh, audiophile version of the tone poet series mm -hmm. that's why i have a lot of appreciation for what they're doing with their catalog nowadays because yeah. i know joe harley with tone poet he's gone on record saying i'm not i'm not trying to limit any of these titles i want to press these as long as people are buying them uh, he has other issues where supplying like the actual pressing logistics mm -hmm. that is still of a concern even though it's getting better yeah. um so like in the tone port world the chet baker sings is probably like the top tier in terms of demand is way bigger than supply Mm -hmm. A lot of people are waiting on that Pet Baker Sings to be repressed, be repressed. But for whatever reason, whether it be a pressing plant issue or the people that make the fancy uh, cover jackets, the, the Stotland Tip-On Printing Company that does all of their OG level quality gatefold covers. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's a lot of backup in in that regards in terms of production. But you said something but, interesting. And, you said something very interesting, and, and I want to I want to stick to this for for a bit because Blue Note is a great example because it's it's regarded as one of the elite labels in jazz. Uh, however, it the scarcity component was a real thing in its heyday in its in its prime. So, you, I would even say what what the let's use an example. What is the in your in in your expert opinion? What is one of the best-selling uh, Blue Note records uh, of its day, like in this prom, not not reissue? Like... Oh, um, <laughs> well, yeah. The so Jimmy Smith mm -hmm. would have been like probably one of the few actual Blue Note artists that regularly sold and made like actual money for the the live oh, for the catalog gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> like you know for as for as amazing the music as blue note came up with in the late 50s and early 60s um alfred Lyman, i think he was already selling the looking to sell the label by the mid 1960s mm. so they really weren't right. actually like that golden era of blue note yeah. artistry it didn't last that long it was really artists like jimmy smith with kind of that organ soul jazz funk kind of thing so, so that's that, what they sold so that goes into 
into the pricing, I would guess. So when you were going over like how you can't find even reissues for under a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. that makes sense to me as a, as a collector mm-hmm. because that's the scarcity thing. I think that's mm-hmm. that's clear as day to a lot of entry level and like mid beginner and even mid level collectors, right? Like mm-hmm. that makes sense. If a record is rare, obviously it's going to cost you money. Uh, even if even if the reissue is is you know it, let's say some reissue outfit presses a thousand copies of it that's still relatively rare now mm-hmm. the price will be dictated by by the retail by that by that reissue outfit and and if they're if they're playing fair then you know they'll market somewhere in the me- median or middle uh, amount but you know they they have whatever right to you know make whatever money i guess off of it that they want um but let's talk about when let's go i want to go back to like when a record isn't rare when a record isn't (laughs) isn't isn't in isn't the demand and i see this a lot i went went through some of some of my collection when we after we discussed this as well and and noted some records that the, the 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 haves versus the want which is supply and demand right they they they're they're just out of proportion a lot of people have this record already. A lot of people own this. A lot of people, you know, value this record for for various reasons. Um, but still, there seems to be uh, an online presence of selling it at the highest amount possible versus when you go into a shop or when maybe you go even to a, a retail site, you've seen... Um, you're seeing them fair price and i i just i want to make sure that I, I give folks who may be in these pickles because i found myself in a lot of them when i first started especially when i first started trying to get my hands on original copies of of rare records i didn't understand why even with the reissue like the the, the copy those ogs would stay the same amount but but it makes sense oh, um yeah, definitely. so so scarcity is one but Outside of that, why would a, a record um, cost so much when it's on Discogs or Amazon or eBay? Yeah, um, I mean, for like the really popular titles, I mean, a Michael Jackson Thriller, you know, a Beatles classic, you know, Rubber Soul, Sgt. Peppers, that kind of stuff. Is it just about um, nostalgia with those records? Is that really what it I, is? I think there's a nostalgic <laughs> piece. I think, you know, th- there's also kind of a legit like I think pandemic post pandemic, I think there is a sense that a lot of people just, I don't know, are, are not willing just to hunt mm, for some good old mm, classic vinyl mm, and just get their, get their hands dirty mm, and get their feet into the grime of a and, and you that know, good old fashioned. Yeah. That com- I think there's a lot of, there's a convenience factor to mm-hmm. it. And I think if you are an online seller or a reseller or a retailer, um, you can lean into that convenience factor you can make and some money escalate you and make some money off make it, a little bit of your money. price you know the mile the miles davis kind of blue i mean we, we saw that you know it wasn't that long ago we saw a hundred dollar another hundred dollar reissue recut mm-hmm. of kind of blue mm-hmm. um probably at least top three greatest selling jazz album of all, of all time. time of all time um just go down to the local store you'll find <laughs> Five to ten copies. If you don't find a copy on the shelf, 
ask 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 the guy at the desk. They've got another ten or twenty kind of blues in in the back that they'll they, they just forgot to re put on the shelves. Yep. yep. You, you don't. And like I said, you know, uh, um, I, I can chime in from the audiophile perspective. Um, the audiophile reissue labels, you know, we're, we're letting them get away with presenting us a new quote unquote fresh cut of a popular title mm -hmm. and doing something fancy to the to the cutting process from the tape in and marketing it as improving the sound or making yeah. the sound better. Yeah. Yeah. But like I explained to you, like with my mile smile my mile smiles, my mobile fidelity mouse mouse was supposed to be top tier level sound. And when I played it, it was okay. Yeah. That was what fifty or sixty bucks, whatever I can't forget. Mm -hmm. But my my twenty dollar OG Bios Miles yeah. first pressing sounds what you the magic like you heard the magic of the room you heard the magic of the performers yeah. playing with each other. Yeah. Um, the the audio file version sounds nice. It's clean. It's very detailed. It's very clear. Right. My OG has a it's it's very clean too, but it has some static and mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. some personality Personal. to it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it has it has the charm and the and the magic and the breath of the life of yeah. the musicians in the sound and that that's lacking in the audiophile version um so i got for me i got the more for me i actually got the more valuable more aesthetically pleasing the og the mm -hmm. original mm -hmm. that actually sounds better and it was cheaper I had to work harder for it to find it. I've been looking for an OG so Mouse Mouse for a very long period of time. I had to work for it, but for those essential things, it's worth it than just default to new fresh cut audiophile label, selling it to you for 60, 100, 150 bucks, and it's easy for me to get. I think we just came to that important crossroad, Ryan. I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think we just figured it out. We We just sort of solved it there are there are multiple layers to this and there are multiple uh, personality types that will approach collecting um if you are a person like me when you started this this hobby i was flat broke i mean i'm still broke but i was flat broke when i started collecting <laughs> records uh so i was penny pinching as much as i can um to buy records that i really wanted so i got my fingers dirty a lot and and i think i came away i remember one time i went into psalm and i found a copy of miles davis's esp it was five bucks ooh, ooh. yeah yeah I, 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 that's what made me a loyal like fan of neo and psalm um and it wasn't beat it was not beat it played amazing and that cover mm. that cover is just beautiful i love that cover that's one of my favorite <laughs> covers of all time um and I, I remember thinking, like, this is what it's about. Getting your hands dirty. This is the this is my take on the hobby. Getting your hands dirty, getting in there, finding some good stuff, finding some pure gold for the lowest cost you can find. Now, I get it. Like everyone isn't isn't me. Everyone isn't like that. So there may be and, people. And you know, just to just to interject, mm -hmm, you know, something that just popped up in my head. A big part of the demographic of the jazz collecting community mm -hmm. are older individuals. Yeah. Yep. Totally. In their fifties, sixties, seventies, 
maybe even going to the 80s yeah so there might be some legit physical limitations uh yeah yeah right no yeah throwing curveballs in in my in my soup here i get it Uh, no no that's a good point that's a good point so when we're talking about uh community that may be a little bit more uh maybe certain lacks of accessibility um, to get their hands and their fingers dirty. But they can still, even with some physical limitations or whatever type of limitations, making establishing a relationship with your local record shop or yeah, a I was local gonna record say, shop. I was just going to say. And yeah. good old-fashioned call them up on their phone or email. Like, mm-hmm. that goes a long way. A long way. A long way. <laughs> and, and I think that solves for uh, a lot of you know the uh, again i i have a weird love hate relationship with the reissue outfits i think a lot of them are doing amazing work i talk a lot about um the labels who are re- reissuing a lot of the independent black jazz of of yesteryear right mm-hmm. um at the same time and because this stuff is stuff that when i first got into the hobby and i first you know found this stuff i i, I knew i would never own OG copies of these records because I knew they were that rare. Some of them weren't even pressed a thousand times, right? That's how rare some of these were. Um, so I, I get that, you know, that that that's a component to this. But so when I first when I started hearing about these reissue outfits pressing those records, and I say this a lot, I I, I was thanking the the record gods. I was like, oh wow, okay, great. I'll you know just get on their email uh, email subscriber list. When I get an email about, you know, uh, the Sojourner or, you know, any random record from Strata East or Black Jazz or, or Black Fire Records or whatever, I, I will get updated on that. And I'll be able to be first in line for that $25, $30, $40 copy. And I won't have any problem uh, as opposed to, you know, having to go into record stores and, you know, having to deal with, uh, you know, a small upcharge maybe if, if you know, the record, the record, um, the record stores, you know, get the reissues and they sort of get them in a in bulk and you know they sell them out fast right a, a lot mm-hmm. of times um so yeah i i think the the real divide here may be diggers versus diggers versus the the convenience folks and and, yeah, and nothing against online purchasers yeah nothing against convenience i mean everything is is a part of this community I, no shots at all for those yeah. who who opt for convenience um, I'm slowly becoming one of those folks, uh, yeah. getting on my hands and my knees in, in record yeah. stores. I was just doing it this past weekend for my birthday, but doing it, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm getting old now. I'm getting up in age. I can't, you know, I can't yeah. be up and oh, down yeah. all the time and you know, that stuff hurts, <laughs> you know, yeah. me, uh, me and my, um, me and my, um, a good friend of mine that lives in the same neighborhood, another kind of suburban dad with kids of ours that go to the same school and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But we'll hit up this record convention that uh, this this organization hosts every couple of months, just right by us in the Chicago land Chicago land suburb area. Um, and it's kind of like it's almost like a flea market type of thing. Mm. It's like they host it in like a hotel conference room. You've got the tables and the vendors, and you've got just hundreds of people in an enclosed space. Um, most of the people there are forties, fifties, sixties. Um, we have some people that are vendors that are older, 60s, 70s. Um, but it kind of, it does, it, it requires a certain level of stamina to be on your feet, to dig. It does. To it does. go through the different vendors, to to barter, to negotiate. 
um it's taxing, a process taxing yeah energy. it's a pretty yeah. taxing process mm-hmm. yeah for sure and, and and i mean and this is i could spend hours doing this and when i first started hours would go by like nothing it would feel like an hour maybe i was in a store but i was in there for maybe four hours um now i'm getting to the point where like you know i i know what spots to hit before when i would go into a shop the reason why i was like a kid in a candy shop was because i was looking for everything now i'm looking mm-hmm. for particular things right like yeah, I, look, I know exactly. what i'm looking for so uh you know i may exactly. come across something every now and again that's that shocks me and it has to make me rethink you know i don't know if you ever seen people in the record stores counting up their records and like being like oh, okay maybe i put this one back and you know <laughs> like doing that I, i've done that yeah. i've done that a little oh, bit yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think we I think we really hit the nail on the head here. But I do want to ask you uh, another question about about mm-hmm, this debacle. Is this something that is it, it just was bound to happen to in our community? Oh, regardless yeah. of Discogs and, and eBay and Amazon or uh, I mean, are they to blame in a weird way for? for no, I, I don't. I wouldn't. Um, you know, I think as we were kind of having this discussion, I mean, if we really think about the pa- the pandemic mm-hmm. as a whole, um, from a vinyl collecting and market perspective, it crazily increased demand and dropped supply at the same time. Mm. It's basically it's basically what happened in the market, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were all home. A lot of us, um, whether it be through a variety of different kind of government funding benefits. Um, being able to work from home for a lot of us, um, you know, uh, uh, many individuals, you know, actually were able to increase their level of income through the heart of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're stuck home. You're less eager to want to go to places. Yeah. A lot of the record shops weren't, were limiting the number of people that were going to come to their stores. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're itching for, to cop some vinyl because what yeah. else are you going to do yeah yeah but the the reality of the pandemic was like supply and supply chain issues and logistics yeah significantly dampened and dropped supply and production to where we are still recovering we're still trying to stabilize from that that's a but good, demand that's demand for even the most basic of titles or reissues or recuts um, is still very strong and steadily increasing. Such a great point, Ryan. Such a great point. Um, I remember at the beginning, one, so a few things here. The podcast started in the pandemic. So it was essentially me working from home being like, hey, I got a little extra time now and I ain't got a commute on my hands. Like, I could do something else. I could do a podcast, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so the podcast started in, 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 in the beginning of the pandemic, right? Um, I can't believe it's been three years since we've started this, which is amazing. Um, but also, that is where the buying online for me became such a big deal. I remember being in DC. We had some really, we had some really tight, uh, some pa- really tight pandemic uh, procedures. Which I mean, some are still mm-hmm. even in effect till this very day, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, I remember thinking I remember thinking that record stores were completely closed. I, I know that for like a, a bulk of the actual 2020 year, they were. I don't think I don't remember walking into a record store in 2020. Uh, and a lot of my record, uh, like you said, Fiending, I was over here scratching for some vinyl. 
<laughs> the the online community took took that and ran with it because I I mean I I had to get my fix. I was getting boxes of vinyl delivered damn near every week. It was a <laughs> weekly thing, uh, and and it got to the point where like I would just I would just notice when I would when I would go to like you know my mail room I would notice the 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 media mailbox. And I'll be like, oh, that's me. That's I wouldn't even have to look at. It. I'll be like, oh, yeah. there's my there's my oh, yeah. four records. It's kind uh, of a, you know, I wonder what like U, USPS, like, <laughs> I bet they have data oh, they to do. show where it's like, whoa, like 2020, 2021, like the mm-hmm. number of media mail mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. like because if you think about it, no one uses. I had no idea what media mail was. Not before, before 2020, yeah. No, no, yeah. Like, it, it was always there. Yeah, yeah. Like, people could ship books or mm-hmm. posters, you know. They actually, uh, USPS still calls it phonographic records, yeah. officially under their website. That's true. But no one, no one used media mail. No one knew what media mail was. And then, like, now, like, for us in the vinyl community, like, media mail is, like, that's our GOAT-level shipping, right? That, that made, like, a huge difference. Yeah. If there wasn't a way to realistically ship records cost effectively for like three four bucks like you could imagine our vinyl community market would be very different very different but the ability to buy a hundred dollar rare record on discogs and only have to pay like four or five bucks shipping for it why not why not why not, <laughs> why not? Why not man so right and in, in, in closing in all this i don't want to hold you I, I got a train to catch you got stuff to do yeah um yeah i want to ask finally like is there yeah. is there any hope though for for a newcomer like how does how does one take all the information that that we've given yeah. about all the the upselling and the yeah the reselling and all that stuff like how can yeah. one take that information and say oh well i want to get involved with this somehow like and and not so, be a poacher <laughs> um for for the young collector the beginning collector i would warn them of the the fomo the fear of missing out i think that's a very real phenomenon that is exacerbated by social media and online forums Mm -hmm. and if you are in your 20s and 30s and still coming out and you're interacting with these jazz cats in their 50s and 60s that are retired and have way more income than you Mm -hmm. and you hear them start talking about how i this is a must-have title this is a must-have title this is a must-have version i would just be very mindful that they're in a very different place than you are right um if you are a young 20s 30s beginning young collector you have the body and the energy and the mind to go into the record stores and get your hands dirty and get your feet dirty and go to record conventions that are popping up and that's and i would encourage you for the titles that you must have whether it's from the 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s or early 2000s if you dig enough you'll find the the classic ogs first pressings at very good prices so a lot of the stuff that i've actually purchased within these past couple of months um has been kind of like 
90s original first early pressing like the classic rock alternative stuff like nice, nice. like nirvana in utero first pressing nice, nice um um i've been on a sonic youth i was binge. gonna say yeah, yeah. first sonic pressing youth. first pressing early pressing records, yeah. Yep. yeah yeah so i pretty much took care of my whole sonic youth um thing i mean we're talking just like the classic dirty goo sister evil mm -hmm. um i think all those ogs that i copped i don't think i spent more than 40 or 50 bucks on like 10 titles yeah yeah i look at <laughs> I, I look at the game I, ryan that is such great advice for clothes because I, I look at the same i have the exact same story with my collection when i first started out i was just grabbing any jazz and rock and black music that i could find and i wasn't paying more than 10 15 bucks per record and some of them were classic ogs that you know if i wouldn't have dug for uh i would have had to pay online prices for at this mm -hmm. rate and and you you don't necessarily need to do that in the beginning is my advice in the beginning i think and i've always held this position um, you can go back to even some of my earliest episodes and, and you'll hear me say the same thing, um, in the beginning of you digging for records, sort of echoing what Ryan said, you need to be in shops. You should be, you should be in your local shops. Um, not saying that, you know, you can't buy online. I did that. Well, in the beginning I did, I did that very little actually. Um, but when I was logging stuff on Discogs, I certainly, yeah, if something was on my want list and it looked, mm -hmm. it had a good, decent price. Yeah, of course I would buy it from a seller on Discogs. So it wasn't all in shops, yeah. but it was definitely yeah. all small vendors. It was all. But it's all the just to just to add to your argument, even the new stuff at retail, because so much so much so much of it is starting to become more limited. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, your local shop is going to be your best way to get to access to a title mm -hmm. that has limited distribution due to supply chain issues. Yep. Yep. So it all kind of really does come down to if you want an OG early pressing because you don't want to pay the inflated reissue prices, or if there is a reissue or a, re, uh, a remastered new cut of something that you must have, mm -hmm. but it's going to be limited to only 2,500, 3,000 copies for a variety of different reasons, the local shop and your relationship with them is still going to be the best way to access any of that. Yeah. Your best bet, your best bet, man. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think we left folks with some good stuff here. Uh, and I think moving forward, um, you know, uh, I always open, um, the, the podcast up for questions and guests and all that stuff. And I, I I'm going to do that here. Brian, do you have anything to add though in closing to this? No, um, not at all. Um, I think, um, we covered, I think everything that we intended to, to talk a little bit about mm -hmm. just kind of this idea of these titles that you must have or quote unquote need to have and kind of what's the best approach and way to kind of handle the fact that prices are crazily escalating mm -hmm. and how can you manage your, your budget and manage your purchasing to be more strategic and intentional so that you're just not succumbing to these market forces like 
you don't like want these things to control you mm -hmm. and your enjoyment of music, you have a lot of ability and power as a consumer. And the fact that we're in a very competitive vinyl selling market currently, you can use that to your advantage yep. to get some really wonderful value cost um, records that you're going to be very happy with. Yep. I, I completely agree. Um, I want to give, since we did harp on the records you should have, I want to just the easy three here for me, easy three. Um, I would say that every record collection should start or have Herbie Hancock's head hunter headhunters. <laughs> uh, John Coltrane's love Supreme two. Mm -hmm. Miles Davis is kind of blue three. That's it. That's mm -hmm. I think yeah. that that should start you if you're if you don't have any records and you know don't know where to go. Those should be your three to start with. That's uh, just my opinion. Uh, Ryan, if you got <laughs> if you got three, go for it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, actually, the one that I'll start off with was kind of the one that kind of started this whole discussion when we were kind of just uh, you know chat chopping it up through text message. It was when I picked up my first copy of Bitches Brew mm. from oh, Miles yeah. Davis. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is definitely a contingency that feels Bitches Brew for Miles did more for music mm -hmm. globally than even like like kind of blue. blue. Yeah, because I, I had recently I re I recently read online that like Bitches Brew for many vinyl collectors that's what they play for their friends. Mm -hmm. that are not into jazz mm -hmm. or into miles yeah. but that's like the, actually the like the true entry point so i got my first copy not very recently only because a lot of the ogs that i came across were a very questionable condition mm -hmm. and I, I didn't want to deal with sometimes if it has too much personality yeah yeah too, too much can me, be bad right? yeah <laughs> so a lot of the bitches brews that you'll find at least in my area had a little bit too much personality to the For point sure. where um, I'm not actually hearing the music. I'm hearing the other stuff. Um, but when Music Direct did their repress, reprint of their classic um, remastered uh, MoFi of Bitches Brew, uh, the 33 RPM version, um, yeah, I, I, I snatched that up like a fat kid at a birthday party with cake. Woo! What, yoink, what, yoink. What is it? For, I, I know I know the answer to this question, but what is it about that record? For me, it's it's the fact that record is so the fusion in that yeah the the ability to sort of com complete this and and you have to be contextual when you think about this record. You yes. have to understand where Miles is coming from and where essentially yes. he he is at this point, and it's totally out of the box um and totally different from anything he's ever done and yeah. uh you know it's yeah it's a, a complete body of of weirdness in my opinion great weirdness, yeah. but weirdness. no that's that's kind of you know even going back to our discussion about wayne shoulder right mm -hmm. like some of the great some of the great the greatest music and greatest artistry you know when it first when it when you first hear it or see it um it may not like click right away mm -hmm. because it's it's coming from such a weird, different, unique, otherworldly place. Like Miles, you know, Miles is Miles has always been a wizard, right? He's always been a magician. Mm -hmm. His ability to create, but his wizardry 
and his magician quality to his music has always taken different shapes and forms, right? Sure. There is there is wizardry in kind of blue. There is wizardry yeah. in Miles Smiles. And the kind of wizardry um, in Bitches Brew, as the title aptly describes, is kind of this 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 soup and blending and potion making of so many what appears to be disparate unique elements of sound coming from so many different places mm -hmm. that in true miles davis alchemy al alchemy is able to kind of get it to all gel and cohesively mix to where even just like the random person on the street that has no idea who miles is or jazz is they can hear and be like oh this is cool yeah, like this groove is something cool. on it yeah yeah that it's a it's a it's a beautiful truth about that record i tell you and um yeah that i, I mean to yeah I, we could do a whole nother whole nother episode on on that itself um you know i mean this is the point there's so many jazz greats and i think the the greatest thing about our music black music is that you're going to you may you may fall for a character or a person like i did for miles right um but it will begin the journey that is the the rest because everything mm -hmm. is six degrees of separation and it's and this music black music is, mm -hmm. is the personification of six degrees of separation in my opinion um, because you start with with one of your you start with somebody because it's of their personality or how Definitely. you know you you heard about them right you get into their music you you hear their music for the first time it sticks it doesn't stick it moves it doesn't move you but something that seed is planted there mm -hmm. and that seed blossoms out and then the next thing you know you're you know you're a fan of you know you're a fan of Wayne Shorter or you're a fan mm -hmm. of the Weather Report because of the seed that was planted from which oh, is yeah. brew or birth of the cool or kind of blue or miles smiles yeah. it, it, it's in the so. in the blue note catalog just to add um the the seed for me was really was art blaking the jazz messengers yeah. Yeah, you're, you're that right. was the seed and was such a small almost family tight-knit label that utilized a lot of the same musicians but just in different formations mm -hmm. you know that art blaking jazz messengers was kind of like a like a jazz lab of sorts because yeah. yeah. you'll get introduced to mccoy tyner you get introduced to her you know you get introduced to wayne shorter you get introduced to freddie hubbard morgan yeah. freddie hubbard you know you get introduced to all of those classic horn players and combo players mm -hmm. just by listening to a couple of different art blakey jazz messengers 60s titles mm -hmm. and for me that that was the seed so you know i kind of talked about bitches brew but i would just throw out there a classic art blakey jazz messengers early to mid 60s blue note title pick your poison mosaic big beat free for all indestructible you'll find not only an album that will really speak to you but you'll go down a really cool journey and path of oh who's this who's this horn player right here it's such a great see how it goes it's such a great point right yeah that is that is phenomenal and there 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 are but a few of those i feel like i mean again it's all six degrees of separation but they all kind of have their i like to call them schools i think i've called mm -hmm. them that before 
and yeah. there are so many different schools and I, and I think that's that's a perfect way to to sum it up uh with with the the musicians that's perfect man so yeah uh if you want to reach out to uh myself or ryan you can do so uh, by emailing the record spinner podcast at gmail.com you can also reach out to ryan separately if you'd like at uh what is it ryan clarentones or what is it? uh ryan ryan claren at gmail.com and then on ig where i do a lot of my kind of vinyl posts and social media interactions my ig is at ryan clarentones and mine is rebirth of the cool but i'm also starting a, a page for the podcast which is of course uh, the record spinner podcast um that has been our time we will be back uh in some time again i think i mentioned this at the end of last season but we'll be on a sort of a need to know sort of basis yeah. from moving forward just with my schedule right now work and yeah. trying to get these certifications so i get more money you know like it's it's, it's all over the place right now so <laughs> you know it's it's a lot going on so uh I'll, I'll keep you guys in the loop i got an awesome uh musician series a dc musician series that i'm i'm doing I'm doing some interviews with some local DC music musicians and I'll, I'll post them up on the show as uh, I start to get them sort of edited and cleared and all that good stuff. So lots of great stuff coming down, uh, down the pike, of course. So stay tuned. Um, thank you again and peace. Ooh.